0: And I think that brings us to our, our discussion about the new normal. Like, what is this going to look like? Um, what is what is what is everything going to look like? What is the future? What does it, it potentially hold? I was reading an article uh, from Ohio Ohio State University, uh, and it says, you know, four ways uh, that that these this Arthur wrote that he believes that life will be different on the what he calls the other side, this other side of Corona. Um, if, if we can attempt to look that, f- that far in, the, in advance and look at the future, um, virtual meetings may become the norm. Um, you know, essentially, we, I believe that we need to get extremely comfortable in the virtual space, uh, that we need to get extremely comfortable and really picking and choosing and deciding who we're going to connect with, because we all want to touch and connect with each other, but we're gonna to have to limit who we touch and connect with for the foreseeable future, and live in a space of virtual meetings. Virtual, you're in Georgia, I'm in California. We gotta to to start living mentally like that, bi-coastal. Get into this kind of space to collaborate, to to uh, to visit, and this has to become while it does seem extremely detached we've got to mitigate these risks by doing things so number 1 was uh, the virtual may become the norm and i'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, number 2 uh, on all four of these we may uh, want personal space we want we may want more personal space that the, that the norm is oh you know i don't want anybody around me because we we're going to be shell shocked from there's going to be a lot of trauma from from this event do we ever want to really trust some of these old food sources and where we're getting food from, and, and should food be coming from China, or if you know if these if these things are true, not being racist, but but we have to know what our food sources are, and do we want everybody around us? Uh, are we going to get into a, a particular thing where we're afraid of who's around us, uh, and you know? creating deeper boundaries where we don't want people to violate our personal space. You know, all of the, oh, hugging, I, you know, that that seems extremely strange to me that the way that we used to connect, you couldn't imagine, you know, embracing people that you haven't seen in forever that you don't, you know, live with, uh, that, that concept. Uh, large sporting events and music events are going to have to be very different. You know, I hosted... Um, the veterans, uh, Red Stick Veterans Week. And we did that day where we got, you know, we brought people together, but we had on-site National Guard was testing people. We had lanes set up where people were so far from each other. We had, you know, 20 feet of space between pods that we created. And all of that potentially was not enough because people still naturally want to gravitate towards each other. When we gave them all of the space, uh, you know, to do it, but I think that the vision that we had for that event—that it's gonna have to be the vision for the future. I mean, you've got to start thinking. No, we're gonna be socially distant. We're gonna stay away from one another, um, and a new era of workers' uh, rights may be imminent. I mean. What are essential workers and who is an essential worker? and what are we going to do to protect essential workers? How are we going to mitigate the risk that's exposed to them? And what do we do as a country to, to protect them and provide for them? How do we award how do we reward these, these essential workers who went to work every day, from a grocery store clerk to um, a bus driver, to a doctor, to someone cleaning a bedpan. How do we reward them past just giving them the coronavirus shot early? What are we going to do to protect these people? And we got to reward them. We ha- These people have done something. They've done yeoman's work. And um, I don't know if I could have done this. And, and I'm a 23-year military veteran. I don't know if every day for a no-end then fight. Do we tell all of you first responders and you providers, medical providers and, and, and uh, therapy providers, what do we do? Because you're still going to the office. What, what are we doing uh, to protect that? So my question to you is, what do we do for the new way of life? What's the new normal dot?
1: Well, I mean, the reality is uh, that article was very right in that some things will not go back, but they don't need to go back, right? So we're worried about food um, coming from other countries when we, we need to be concerned about the food we have right here. Uh, the truth of the matter is th- a lot of these places, they only get inspected once, maybe twice a year. And sometimes those inspections are, are not as, as thorough as they need to be. There, there is no way that all of these businesses are getting 97s and 98s on these inspections every mm-hmm. time, right? Like I, I, I mean, I really feel like we have gotten lax Um, in a lot of ways why do we have buffets uh they're just if you think about all the people breathing uh, over a buffet us all touching the same utensil to get these Uh i mean there are just certain (laughs) things there are just certain things that we just do not need to be doing and and yes i know uh State Farm Arena, that we uh, built a space and put folks closer together so we could pack more people in here and make more money. And guess what? You will never be able to fill all those seats again because the reality is we don't need to make spaces smaller, airlines. We need to actually give people more space and we need to skip spaces in between people. And so often we don't make changes unless we're forced to make changes. And so I think those are some of the good things that are gonna, we don't need, we're too touchy feely anyway, honestly. Um, a lot of people have experienced trauma. a lot of people are uncomfortable with touch and we just force people to be touched. We have these concerts and these other gatherings, even grocery stores and you think about how close people used to could get to you in a line um, and and how you've had to turn around before and 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 give people that look when it's like, are you putting in um, my my pen or am I putting it in you that close to me?" Uh, So we have needed to make some of those changes. Now, what's going to hurt is that those changes, because we are reluctant to make them on our own and we're not prepared for them, now it's going to cost us some money to put things in place. And so this is where we're going to see people trying to price gouge. So now I'm going to charge you more for what I should have already given you. And that is going to affect our essential workers because now I'm working you harder, but I'm not giving you any hazard pay and I should be. How do we compensate them? They need to receive hazard pay. They don't need to have these high um, deductibles for their insurance. Here you are already making minimum wage, which is not enough to be able to live on, and then your deductible is $2,000. So guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to be going to the doctor because you can't afford it. So, right, so the, the, um, the employers need to make sure that the insurance packages that they're getting for their employees offer them the ability to be able to afford to go to the doctor. You need to have those vacation days because that's what allows you to be able to do your job. You need to have people to rotate in. You know how many people are forced to work double and triple shifts? I mean, literally forced, like, no, you can't leave. You can't leave until someone comes to relieve you as if you don't need sleep or to eat or to go pick up your children or whatever it, right? So that needs to stop. Um, and And we also need to make incentives for people to want to work in those environments. We have got to be consistent with this minimum wage being raised to a livable wage because right now it's not. Right. So, those are some things that I'm hoping are going to come out of this. And yes, we are going to have to adjust. We may be able to wear, we may be wearing masks um, for the foreseeable future. And we're going to have to adjust to that. But all changes are not bad changes. We just need to adjust to them and give them an opportunity and see that we can enjoy life on the other side of that without being crammed into um, the Jay Z Beyonce concert Um, by being able to have space or being able to have these pods. I love these pods that I'm seeing where you can kind of have your own little mini area for you to be, I think that's something that's good that's going to come out of this. So I do think that psychologically, there are some very important things that are going to come out of this, but I think financially people are going to struggle at first.
0: Uh, definitely. I, I watched as we, we did the soft kind of reopening and then people push those limits. You know, uh, we have to have a true plan that we all learn together. What is the new normal what are the new briefings? Uh, and we're going to lose a lot of businesses. Uh, th- there's no ifs, ands, no buts about it. This is not gloom and doom. We're going to lose a lot of businesses. So, you know, the new way is is I rather have fifty percent of five dollars than hundred percent of no dollars. And and if we our businesses are going to have to merge, uh, you know, and like you said, those employees you're going to have to merge into those spaces and become part of that that deeper space where we can have that safety uh, that we're going to have to learn from it. Some, a lot of businesses will not make it. Um, you know, one of the, the challenges that we, we've noticed, and in another episode, we're gonna get into deeper racial justice, but staying within the same vein, the same vein of COVID. One of the things that I think, uh, the challenges that we're, we're running into is how this this virus seems to be uh, targeting um, African Americans. There was this um, ProPublica article that I sent you uh, earlier in the week. It was called "How COVID-19 Hollowed Out a Generation of Young Black Men." Um, you know, it, the, the 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 article goes on and it and it talks about how these men were pillars of their communities and their families, and they're not replaceable, and how uh, COVID-19 um, um, and they liken it to the old uh, John Henry uh, allegory, allegorical, where the man worked himself to death. Old John Henry worked himself to death to beat a locomotive and at the, he beat the locomotive and then at the end he, he, he died. Uh, and they relate it to, there's a uh, Dr. Uh, uh, K. Artez Bates. He was a big man with a big heart uh, out of Vidalia, Louisiana. Um, and he, when he got there, uh Vidalia, Louisiana, uh, we had his already burdened body under his breaking load. And uh, Bates was in his 10 year on the Vidalia Police Department. It's a river city there in the Mississippi River, right across from Natchez, uh, uh, Mississippi. Um, Natchez, Mississippi, uh, right across the, the river there is Vidalia in Louisiana. And in his son, he was also a son as a resource officer at an elementary school. And he's also uh, the pastor, head pastor of Forest Aid Baptist Church, all of that. And we had this discussion before. You know, uh, we pay our police so little that they have a job and then they have a second job and then they have a third job uh, as, as policemen. Um, and, and you know, Kovac came in and attacked his body uh, where he was caught, you know, March 20th. He was coughing. His nose was bleeding. The next day he couldn't get out of bed. Um, and, and some of the numbers were showing that COVID has killed one out of every 800 African-Americans, a toll that overwhelms the imagination. One out of every 800. Now from a, from a racial justice, what do you think some of the challenges are when we're looking at this? We know the, the, the normal medical uh, disparages, uh, this, you know, differences and in inequities that, that occur. But what are your thoughts on that article that I sent you, Dr. Tarber?
1: I'm just so thankful that you sent this article because one of the most under, I think, discussed areas is Black men's health. Um, black men's health is something that we know is a challenge, but we're not, I don't feel like we're doing enough to raise awareness about Black men and their health, right? The focus is often on, um, unfortunately, our Black men being gunned down in the streets or incarcerated or, you know, negative press about Black men and, you know, not taking care of responsibilities. But we're not talking about Black men and their health. So a lot of, lot of things to just kind of tease out of this. One, which you alluded to, was the health disparities. So all of the men in this article, and I encourage people to read it, every last one of them was overweight. Every last one of them had health problems, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Um, and frequently it is those things in conjunction with the overworking, right? So and you, are, you are spot on. Men are trying to provide for their families and they will work two and three jobs. And you think about, you work long hours yourself. We talk about this frequently in your long work weeks. So what gets neglected? Me. I don't sleep, I get a few hours of sleep a night. Um, we know the body can't function well with lack of sleep. I'm eating probably mostly fried fast food because I don't have time to sit down mm-hmm. and eat meals. I'm on the go, this, this man, you just had three jobs. So yeah. you know, this, this man is grabbing stuff or people are giving them stuff and that's gonna be stuff that's, that's, that's fried and high in saturated fat, like he's eating junk essentially. And we know what we put in our bodies affects our bodies. I already have these risk factors and now the stuff I'm putting in my body is affecting me. And then on top of that, we know that black men are less likely to go to the doctor. Right, Mm -hmm. so what black men will do is say, well, it'll probably get better, let me just give it time. That time turns into a year. So I've been dealing with these things for a year and I haven't been seen for them. So by the time I go and get seen, guess what now this thing is is at a point where it could have been managed easily and now it may be a chronic or terminal condition that's the size right so this so COVID, we know in itself is not necessarily what's killing people it's what COVID does to the body so it just like it's doing in our communities it exacerbates everything that's already going on so if you had problems with your lung guess what COVID is gonna make that even greater. If you have problems with your heart, guess what? COVID is gonna make those conditions worse. And so now what's killing me is these underlying conditions that COVID has just put on steroids. Mm. So my body is weak and I can't, I can't build the things I need to, to recover. And so I'm susceptible to all of those things. And the other thing that I must highlight is black men suffer in silence. So your partners don't even know what you're experiencing. I might've been having uh, headaches for months, never told anybody. I might've been having heart palpitations for years, never told anybody. I may have been having problems urinating, never told anybody. So I'm over here silently suffering because how men are socialized, right? And you're in the military, you served uh, over 20 years, you know how this works. Keep going, we don't have time for that. So, right, let's go. So a lot of men don't feel like they can Share what's going on with them. They feel like I have to take care of my family. I need to keep going, and so here I am, literally working myself to death. And
0: I think that Mm -hmm. that that brings us to the the you know the the next part of this is you know the vaccine. You know we're we're talking about what's next, what what the new normal will be, and um, there's a ray of hope. Uh, with a vaccine uh, that that we've gotten through this Warps, Operation Warp Speed. Uh, and they're finally trying to figure out logistically how to get those all out. We've ordered more uh, of the vaccine. We got a second vaccine approved and, and a third one on the horizon, uh, which provides a little bit of ray of hope. But one of the challenges with that is the skepticism that African Americans have in taking vaccines in this country, rightfully so, with some of the challenges. There's an article that I read, uh, an NPR article called Race and the Roots of Vaccine Skepticism um, here recently, uh, about a week ago, on All Things Considered. Um, you know, Mike uh, Martin and, and uh, this medical ethicist. Uh, Harriet Washington, they discovered they, they had a discussion about some of these these challenges. The Pew Research article uh, released that 43% of African Americans said that they uh, would get the vaccine if it was available to them. Only 43%. So 57% of African Americans that were interviewed for this Pew Research study said that they would not get the vaccine. Only 43% Answered in the affirmative um, as it relates to this, and this was the lowest of any racial uh, group that they surveyed. Uh, and uh, you know, public health officials are aware. Uh, you know, there's a new book called Medical Apartheid, where where this the root of this skepticism comes from. We know with the Tuskegee um, trials, where they were giving African Americans syphilis; these African American men syphilis, thinking they're getting health. Uh, they're getting valid health care. I mean, those doctors, that that should still be an ongoing lawsuit where these and their children and their spouses forever and ever get paid. This is such vile, you know, behavior on people who take a Hippocratic oath that says, first, do no harm. Um, you know, one of the things that these behaviors uh, were coming from, this this phenomenon was kind of counterbalanced with um, about the health care system that's not integrated within our community, right? We, we don't, it, it's not. Unfortunately in a lot of urban uh, minority communities, it's not as simple as let me run over to the urgent care center that's down the hill where I know my local doc in case something happens. This is not an emergency room, wait. This is an ur- urgent care issue. And that's because I have some world-round health care and health insurance that's gonna protect me and mine, and that all I have to do is, you know, something happens to my four-year-old, she goes and, and gets taken care of. Something happens to the college boy, he goes and just gets taken care of. And it's just that simple with small copays that are innocuous. That's not the case for everybody that we're, we're, we're dealing with that. The next part of that is referring, you know, for the the histories and medical arena where we've been used as test subjects without our own, um, our own care, and then the lack of power-based people who have the authority and the power and skill set to tell you, hey, this is safe, I'm doing it. Using people on TV, it's, I don't know, we're not talking about what kind of toothbrush I use. We're talking about a vaccine that we wanna incorporate into our body system that we wanna say, this is gonna be used to help protect us. When we know that our women don't get taken care of when it's time to have their babies, the highest mortality rate amongst uh, all subgroups, African-American women expect that, are our, our, our men just afraid to go to the hell. Like whether it's fear from mon- financial, because the finances aren't there to be able to provide and pay for this stuff, or just fear, overall fear because we don't trust the system to take care of us. Like we don't trust the court system. We don't trust these American systems because they have always been unjust as it relates to people who look like me. Uh, so those are challenges. What are you thinking some of the other challenges that may be in effect, uh, Dr. Tarver, as it relates to challenges as it relates to this vaccine?
1: I think another challenge is that people just wanna see more research, right? So I, I think you have people who are um, you know, more educated, who might possibly be amongst that group of that percentage of people uh, who would consider it, but don't feel like it's just had enough time for them to be able to see the long term effects, and that's what I'm hearing from a lot of um, my peers is, I just need a little bit more data, All right? So we weren't necessarily represented as well um, in the initial trials because we don't volunteer uh, to try things that are new, and oh. so we're we're waiting to see, and and I applaud all of the healthcare workers who are, are African-American, who have gotten the vaccine, who have shared their stories on social media, who have been on the news sharing their stories. The NAACP did a town hall, um, have providers come and talk because that's all a lot of people are looking for is let me just see, Um, what happens after a year, what's going to happen in terms of how long is this going to be in my in my body in terms of the antibodies for it to protect me. It takes about two months for me to get the vaccine, two dosages for it to work, but then is it going to be three months and then it's out of my system and so then I'm having to get a vaccination, again? right, so people just want a little bit more information and to me that is a valid point to allow people to have an opportunity to get more information and by the time June, July rolls around where the average person will be able to get that, will have that data point. So I do think that is a factor. The other thing that I think um, is prohibitive is people have this perception that vaccines give them illnesses, right? So we know this about just the regular flu vaccine. A lot of people don't get the flu vaccine because They have had experiences or or heard of other people's experiences getting sick, if you will, after they got the vaccine. And so a lot of people in their minds are feeling like, if I get this, I'm going to get COVID. Um, And they're terrified. Some have already had it. So they're wondering, am I going to get it again? And and this is just lack of information and understanding, but it's still a valid fear for people. Um, And so that's information that I think people uh, have a little bit of confusion about. I think that there is also concern um, as you mentioned before about just providers. So some people actually do believe that they won't get the same vaccine as non-black people will get. So there is absolutely a fear that black people are gonna get a different version of this vaccine and you Mm -hmm. all are gonna be doing something something different to us. And you just laid out very well uh, where some of those concerns are coming from and and then there's just a skepticism in general about because and you alluded to this when we first started this conversation when this came out um we were concerned because it 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 seemed at first like it wasn't affecting black people like oh okay older people then it started it started taking us out and so we are very concerned i think as a community about if it affected, the virus affected us in that way, how is this vaccine going to affect us? Is it going to affect us different? Even if it's the same vaccine, then it affects some of our white counterparts. So I do think a lot of fear, those fears are coming as well.
0: Um, I, I, I I guess I got to agree with you 100% that those are are definitely unique challenges that are added to the, to the mix of whether or not we as a people want to take this vaccine uh, in this country, considering a historical perspective, considering uh, not enough information is known, considering in, in fact in this actual vaccine that that there is not a lot of study that shows about us and our comorbidities and, and comorbidities and how this uh, this vaccine will will truly impact African Americans, and hopefully more information will continue to reveal itself in rapid time um, and and. Um, with the lack of access to it. But I, one of the things that I've noticed in this year, and we have so much more to talk about with this 2020, but as it relates to COVID, you know, um, what about the resilience? Do you think that we've found a way that we've shown that as, as a human race on this country, that with, with you know, you're thinking 80.2 million people with COVID, you're thinking 18.9 million Americans for COVID, 330,000 Americans dead. Um, Have you noticed any resilience or bouncing back or people are still willing to keep trying? Whatever you noticed on a good news story uh, that you can leave us with, Doc.
1: This is probably my favorite part of this whole conversation because I have seen people show up and be amazing. We had people stitching masks uh, when our providers could not get access to masks. We had people making masks for our providers, making masks for our elders, making masks for our grocery store workers, our, our custodial staff, and giving them away for free. Um, we had kids even, even joining in, dropping off food for people. People made grocery store runs for folks and, and, and took it to them and put it on their porch so they wouldn't have to, have to get out. We saw people um, being outside of windows to access folks that were in nursing homes and Mm. people who were in hospitals and couldn't see their loved ones. We saw providers FaceTiming and and Zooming so people could could spend that last moment with their loved one who was, Mm. was on their deathbed. We saw people in hospice being able to see the loved ones that they couldn't touch, but they got a chance to tell them goodbye. We saw people being creative and 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 formulating pods to help each other like hey I don't understand computers uh my my husband does though and he set this stuff up all of us can come over we have I am people giving concerts and 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 just sharing of their gifts and talents the podcasts that have come out of this um tick <laughs> is is one of my favorites like we have uh I am I know a lot of times we just see the things that happen in life that are hurtful and, and destructive, but we got a chance to see people be creative. We got a chance to see when all those folks said we couldn't work from home, look how many people made it possible for us <laughs> to work from home, right? Um, seeing seeing um, internet providers give free internet to, to kids who would not otherwise have it, seeing computers being donated, the amount of food, that has been donated to people who would not otherwise have food. Um, that is the humanity that I know and love. The people that have not tried to politicize it, but just showed up quietly in the trenches. Those nurses that came from other states to help out their fellow nurses, those doctors who who came out of retirement to help. Like I have so much respect for people who sacrificed during this time and they didn't stand up to get a trophy for it. They just showed up, they knew they had a purpose um, and and an ability, and they showed up and gave up their time and their talents. And uh, it makes my heart full now just to talk about it. I am, churches that have gone online, they're just countless examples of how we have been resilient during this time and it has made us better people for it.
0: No, I I would have to agree with you 100% that we untapped into uh, we tapped into something that had heretofore been untapped. Uh, we, as an American people, uh, and really the world's people, we um, showed our resilience by what we never thought we would have to do, never thought we would uh, be required to do. But as a father who hasn't uh, seen his daughter uh, really since March, I saw her for about three minutes on her birthday in July, and I was so far away from her, I still haven't hugged my daughter. Um, but because of my travels, because of, you know, I'm not at risk. I've n- never contracted uh, COVID, uh, always tested negative for it. But because of just that risk, I wouldn't want to risk harming my daughter who would then, you know, innocuously give it to her grandparents who were there with her on a daily basis. And then they give it to their parents, you know, her great-grandparents. And that's generations that could be wiped out, um, you know, uh, Was something like that. So we're all having to work together. We're all having to suffer, and I never thought I would be able to be resilient <laughs> to not see my little girl, and it hurts me on a daily basis. But there's a greater, uh, greater good in all of this. Is that if we all just be safe, we all just listen to the science, we all just work together, um, that we can get through this. We as a humanity can get through this. We as an American people, we can, and and you and I can. Uh, my my ode to this great resilience was that even in our deepest, darkest days, we created something special that we share with our friends and our loved ones, and we hope that the community can grow from this. We we hope that you, as listeners of In Our Own Defense podcast, as as viewers of In Our Own Defense podcast, and and subscribers to the content that we provide, um, you know, I hope uh, that your challenge would. With pushing yourself even this in this most critical time, um, you know we're not we're not out of the woods yet, but we are making a way uh, in this new way. We're forming and forging our new normal, uh, and we we thank you for being a listener to this as we do our end uh, year review of these uh, these few shows that we'll do at the end of this year. We look forward to our next season. So uh, this concludes this episode of In Our Own Defense. Uh, we're your host, Attorney Ad. Winners and Dr. Lawrence Tarver. We have more shows coming up for our uh, year in review. We we'll ask you to stick around. Uh, you can always follow us on Instagram at In Our Own Defense. You can follow us at YouTube, Facebook, or you can email us at In Our Own Defense at gmail.com. We have some more exciting topics to discuss. We got to discuss entertainment and the sports world, all of the things that happen there. We have more national politics discussed with the presidency and uh, this crazy weather we've had this year. So there's so many more shows that we want to have with you as we do our year review. And so thank you, Dr. Tarver. And this has been a great episode. Five, four, three, two, one. Excellent. Good job, girl. That was our best show. That was our